Hello, powerful people. My name is Edouard Gilles, personal development speaker and talk show host. And I want to welcome you to this holistic experience called Ed Talks Daily Personal Development and Motivation. This podcast is all about growth in all aspects of your life. How do you solidify a great mindset that will lead to a healthy body, healthy relationships, and an in-tune spirit? Well, join me on this journey to becoming the best version of ourselves. If you want a podcast that you can relate to, a podcast that will motivate and inspire you, all while educating you on ways to personally develop and grow as a being, Ed Talks Daily is for you. Find Ed Talks Daily on your favorite podcast app and be sure to leave your thoughts in the form of a review. Or tune in live every Monday at 12 p.m. by visiting FAURradio.com. It, it happened. It happened on, on March 11, 2000. I'd set up this cruise for like 45 of us to uh, go on this cruise out of New Orleans. So we all drove from Texas to New Orleans, went on this cruise, we're coming back. And um, a tire blew out in a friend's SUV. Uh, There's no drinking or driving involved. Nobody was doing anything wrong. It was a beautiful day out. And essentially the, the car witness reports say we rolled between six and 12 times. And uh, somehow my legs got out the window. I was conscious the whole time. I saw my legs getting crushed over and over and over and over again as the car rolled uh, across the median, across the other side of, of I-45. We were outside of Houston and we rolled into a field. And um, I ended up uh, crawling out of the car as quick as I could because what happens in the movies when, when a car rolls, you know, six or 12 times, six or 12 times, it blows up, right? Mm-hmm. So I tried to get out as quick as I could, and I, but I couldn't stand up because my foot was kind of dangling uh, at the end of my shin, if you can imagine that. And so as I, as I crawled out of the car, I picked up all this dirt and debris and gravel and grass and, uh, inside that ankle, inside the foot. And I, I looked back and my friends were, um, two friends were still in the car, one was getting out. And so first, the first set of first responders I got there had to cut my friend Ashley, who was driving, had to cut her out of the car she was pinned in. Uh, they landed a helicopter on the side of the interstate to take her off. Um, and she, unfortunately, she passed away um, on the way to the um, hospital that day. So her name was Ashley Furman, and she was just 19 years old. And so seeing that, you know, that, if that wasn't bad enough, then they had to put me in an ambulance and take me off to um, a couple different hospitals. I, I got settled in um, after a few surgeries of piecing my foot back together kind of sewing things back on and screws and pens and staples and all kinds of stuff. I got transported uh, back home to San Antonio, back to, um, back to my parents' house. And to go from Mr. Social Chair, dating the cheerleader, full ride scholarship to my scholarship got pulled because I couldn't work anymore. Um, I was away from my fraternity and you know all my friends, away from my social life, my education. And I moved into my parents' house in the hospital bed in my dad's office and couldn't even go to the bathroom on my own. And so it was a major, major contrast and something I was not equipped to be able to handle. Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com forward slash ed talks and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs audible content includes an unmatched selection of audiobooks 
original audio shows, news, comedy, and more from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, and entertainers. So download a free trial today and start listening. It's that easy. Just go to audibletrial.com forward slash edtalks. How's it going, powerful people? Welcome back to another episode of the Ed Talks Daily Personal Growth and Motivation Podcast. Once again, it's another beautiful day to be alive, another day to share great ideas and experiences, all in efforts to help you grow and personally develop. Uh, today, I have the absolute pleasure to converse with John Mabry. Uh, John, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. I really, really appreciate it. Thanks for being on this podcast. Um, if there's one thing I always say during every interview, every encounter is like, I don't necessarily give a introduction of people. I like for them to, to give a self-introduction. So with that being said, John, what is your life about? What do you believe in? What's your purpose? Man, yeah. So my name is John Mabry. I believe my purpose is to um, help others and um, you know, to be able to do that, I gotta be, I gotta help myself first and foremost. If I'm going to, you know, like I say on the airplane, if a plane's going down and the oxygen mask drops down before you put on a child, put it on yourself first. And that's one thing I've um, continued to learn through my journey in life is uh, challenges keep coming up and um, keep getting knocked down. Um, but I keep, keep getting back up. And uh, the goal is to be able to um, to be able to help others through my experiences. Okay. So what are some of those experiences? How have you been able to help others now and what do you do? So uh, I'm a person in recovery um, from alcohol and substance abuse. And so I've been grateful over the years to be able to, to give back to the recovery, not just the recovery community, but um, for anybody struggling with any type of, you know, um, of addiction, doesn't have to be substances per se, but you know, everybody's got something, maybe it's exercise or, food or, you know, binging on Netflix, whatever your thing is, or shopping on Amazon Prime all the time, you know, to be able to uh, take um, what I've learned and uh, maybe what the real cause of addiction is and to be able to spread that message with others. So would you say that you're in the process of dis discovery right now? Because, you know, what you said resonated. You can't help others unless you can help yourself. Yeah, you know, I mean, <laughs> there's been times when I thought I was, I had to, uh, uh, discovered myself, um, only to find out that there's just so much more to uncover. So I believe that I'm uh, always in a process of discovering, you know, to be open-minded and, and willing to see what those new things are each and every day that you can learn um, from other people and, and learn from your own, learn from my own experiences. Um, but yeah, I'm definitely in the, in the process of, uh, of continuing to discover myself. Yeah, well, what are some things that you say that you learned about yourself during this process? One, I, I don't know as much as I think I know. Thought I knew everything I needed to know, and um, and we can go into some of the traumas that I've uh, been through in, in my life uh, in a little bit. But um, you know, one, I need help. I need help from others. I need to ask for help from others on a consistent basis um, to be able to maintain my sobriety and to be able to um, continue to, to to grow and develop as a as an individual as a, as a person. Um, you know, every time I try to do something on my own, it tends to work maybe for a little bit, um, if it works at all. Uh, but I find when I reach out for help and ask, ask for somebody else's uh, hand and something that I might need help with, 
things just tend to go a lot, um, a lot more smoothly. And, and I think that's really what, what God intended us uh, to be able to, you know, to need and to do is to connect with others and not necessarily go through life, you know, alone and, and by ourselves. I think that's why he, he made a world full of people, you know, not just one person. It was it's supposed to be a contribution of different minds, of different experiences. So it's, it's a beautiful thing. Speaking of that, why don't you tell us your story, John? Yeah. Born and raised in San Antonio, Texas, and I had a, a great upbringing, a great childhood, a great family, a lot of love and support. I had everything I needed and, and most everything I wanted. So life was uh, relatively uh, easy for me. Now, I had some ear surgeries as a kid, and I can touch on that in a little bit of the impact that that had on my life. But I just, I just thought these, these ear surgeries that I had as a child were just kind of, you know, little bumps in the road. And um, I put on the class clown. I put on happy face, put on a smile uh, to get through that. And that ended up, you know, not serving me so well later on in life. Uh, but other than that, other than those uh, ear surgeries, things were um, really, really easy for me for the most part. And uh, high school was a breeze. Um, you know, as Mr. Social, uh, senior year at prom, I was named uh, most outgoing, most school spirited, best personality, and class clown. And so uh, I was just kind of all over the place and uh, larger than life uh, personality. But what I came to find out later is really it was it was covering up the fears and the insecurities um, that I had from those ear surgeries. Uh, from from a young age, I felt. Um, different. I felt insecure. I felt uh, unfixable, um, just constantly broken. And so I, I masked all those, all those negative feelings with the, with the class clown um, person. So I uh, ended up uh, going to college, went to a private university in, uh, in Texas. And that was, things just came easy to me there, did the fraternity thing. And uh, my, by my senior year, I had earned a full ride scholarship uh, through the university. I was working for the uh, for the football team or the athletic staff, and I was a communications major. And I, I fell into a, um, being able to film uh, games and practices, and I got the same scholarship the football players got. So full full ride on in terms of uh, classes, books, fees, meal plan, um, and I uh, got a you know several hundred dollars a month stipend as well. And so got, got paid to, to watch sports, which is pretty cool. Um, I was also social chair of our fraternity. So I was setting up, you know, social events with other sororities and, and other uh, organizations around town. And I was dating a cheerleader who was our fraternity sweetheart. And so things were looking pretty good going into my senior year. Couldn't have asked for much more. And it, it happened. It happened on, on March 11th, 2000. I'd set up this cruise for like 45 of us to uh, go on this cruise out of New Orleans. So we all drove from Texas, New Orleans, went on this cruise. We're coming back and um, a tire blew out in a friend's SUV. Uh, There's no drinking or driving involved. Nobody was doing anything wrong. It's a beautiful day out. And essentially the, the car witness reports say we rolled between six and 12 times. And uh, somehow my legs got out the window. I was conscious the whole time. I saw my legs getting crushed over and over and over and over again as the car rolled uh, across the median, across the other side of, of I-45. We were outside of Houston, and we rolled into a field. And um, I ended up uh, crawling out of the car as quick as I could because what happens in the movies when when a car rolls, you know, six or twelve times, six or twelve times, it blows up, right? 
Mm-hmm. So I tried to get out as quick as I could, and I, but I couldn't stand up because my foot was kind of dangling uh, at the end of my shin, if you can imagine that. And so as I, as I crawled out of the car, I picked up all this dirt and debris and gravel and grass and, uh, inside that ankle, inside the foot. And I, I looked back and my friends were, um, two friends were still in the car. One was getting out. And so first, the first set of first responders I got there had to cut my friend Ashley, who was driving, had to cut her out of the car. She was pinned in. Uh, they landed a helicopter on the side of the interstate to take her off. Um, and she, unfortunately, she passed away um, on the way to the um, hospital that day. So her name was Ashley Furman, and she was just 19 years old. And so seeing that, you know, that if that wasn't bad enough, then they had to put me in an ambulance and take me off to um, a couple different hospitals. I got settled in um, after a few surgeries of piecing my foot back together, kind of sewing things back on and screws and pens and staples and all kinds of stuff. I got transported uh, back home to San Antonio, back to, um, back to my parents' house. And to go from Mr. Social Chair, dating the cheerleader, full ride scholarship to my scholarship got pulled because I couldn't work anymore. Um, I was away from my fraternity and, you know, all my friends away from my social life, my education. I moved into my parents' house in the hospital bed in my dad's office and couldn't even go to the bathroom on my own. And so it was a a major, (laughs) major contrast and something I was not equipped to be able to handle. If you can hear my voice, you're tuning in to the Ed Talks Daily Personal Development and Motivation Podcast. And I want to thank you for taking the initiative to grow holistically and invite you to subscribe to this podcast and leave a review. Thank you. Um, I ended up going through 14 surgeries that year. I was under anesthetic 14 times for various procedures that year. And we ended up uh, amputating my leg below the knee. So, um, not something I was uh, anticipating in life, uh, being a, a leg amputee. But I'll tell you something that, that really helped me get through it was, um, was those pain pills. You know, a lot of times people, uh, as we all know, with the opioid epidemic, people get prescribed, whether it's, a, you know, going in for a tooth procedure or, you know, shoulder break or something. It can be something big or small. Get those painkillers. And I was off to the races. And so I put on that, put on that smile, put on that face, tried to get better as quickly as I could for everybody else to show everybody I was fine and that I could, that I could, you know, manage this and ended up uh, graduating six weeks later after my amputation. Um, I walked the stage on a temporary prosthetic to get my diploma and ended up moving out to San Diego to uh, continue education and started working on uh, a master's in counseling at San Diego State. And I got out there, got, I was separated from everything I knew back in Texas. Now I'm in Southern California, a whole new world. And the painkillers weren't, weren't doing it, you know, for me. Yeah. So I added alcohol and when I'd run out of that, um, next thing you know, I'm, I'm getting Adderall from my doctor. And if I run out of that, I go down to Tijuana and get some more pain pills and marijuana was in the mix and pornography. And so I was just, I was having to numb out all the time and I didn't realize how um, how sick I had gotten, but I was just trying to manage life on, you know, the terms that I wanted to set for life and not necessarily listen to what I really needed, um, to be doing. And that was, that was working on myself. So I ended up getting married and got to the end of grad school and I stumbled into some acting and stunt work in LA using my leg to get blown up. So, um, man, yeah, I don't know how many, 
I don't know about you, but uh, growing up, if you were to say, hey, man, if you had an opportunity to go to Hollywood and get blown up on major Hollywood sets and, and go to the Playboy Mansion and, and do all these fun things, would you do it? And I said, heck yeah, I would. So here I am, an uh, up-and-coming alcoholic and addict, moving to L.A., and uh, things just you know progressively got worse. Um, although I found myself working on some, some uh, projects like NCIS and ER, uh, Cold Case, um, I was in the movie Super Bad. I've got a, I've got one scene in Super Bad. I'm the amputee that jogs past Jonah Hill. Uh, it's a short little track scene where I jog past Jonah Hill and curse at him as I'm running by. And um, fun. I had some fun experiences. Been bowling at Phil Jackson's house. I've been uh, weird. I got uh, licked in the back of a cab by Andy Dick and all kinds of crazy stuff. Stories you hear are real. <laughs> And, um, I thought I had, I'd reached the top when I got to the Playboy Mansion with Adam Sandler and Emma Stone and Bruce Willis, Ashton Kutcher one night, I thought I was doing pretty good. Um, but it wasn't just a, a few short weeks after that, that I got to call that my brother. He, my brother was my best friend and he lived, um, just over, he lived in Beverly Hills. I lived just on the backside of the hill. So we were about 15, lived about 15 minutes apart and I got a call that he didn't show up for work one day. And so I drove over to his house and um, called his cell phone, went to check his bedroom door and it was locked and I called his cell phone and it rang. I could hear it ringing on the other side, but there was no answer. And so I kind of braced myself for the worst and kicked in his bedroom door and, you know, wood splintered all over the place and um, discovered my, my brother, my best friend was, uh, was dead from an overdose. And wow. Yeah. So we had already had a firstborn uh, son out there in, in Los Angeles and we packed up and got out of California and moved to, to Nashville uh, where I've been living the last 10 years. And that was when my, my journey really just started to uh, really just began I was moving to Nashville. I thought, Hey, let's move here for a fresh new start. But you know, you know, the old adage, you take you with you. So I just brought all that stuff that was uh, pushed down from my accident and now my brother's deaf and I brought it here and um, struggled holding down a job and ended up um, going into treatment. Uh, been in treatment five times. Um, I've lived in a trailer on the side of the, on the banks of the Cumberland River outside of Nashville. Um, lived in a couple different halfway houses and um, I've gone through, uh, gone through a divorce. And so life has not necessarily gotten easier but I have found newer, newer and different ways, uh, more effective ways of managing life. And that's been through working a program of recovery, um, reaching out for help, uh, ther you know, uh, therapy, um, exercise. I do boxing, uh, for my exercise. Um, you know, right. essential. go ahead. Mm -hmm. So let, let's, let's bring it back a little bit to some of the experiences. Um, so I, I'm noticing a, a character shift. I mean, a rhetoric of different identifications throughout your life. Um, you know, as from, from even from a young age being, you know, the class clown, as you said it, you know, the popular kid and then the shift in identity as I would say different redirections that may have been trauma traumatic and, you know, other circumstances that may have been painful at the time, how did you feel 
what were the shifts in identity that, that, that you think you went through um, in different parts of your life? Man, I'll t- yeah, man, I'll tell you what, I don't think I, I've, you know, through these experiences ever really known who I truly am. And I, I don't believe I know who I truly am today. You know, I'm still, still in that, uh, like we said at the opening, still in that discovery process. Um, I've just been a really good chameleon and I've been really, I've mastered the art of fitting into whatever group I'm in, fitting in, trying to fit in to any situation, any, any group that I'm, I'm with. You know, I, I prided myself in, in high school and college of being friends with everybody. Well, you know, what, what I found out is I was never really friends with myself, you know, and I was, I was always scared of, of me and, and getting to the, to the depths of, of my own pain. And so I would be whoever you wanted me to be. So it was, yeah, a constant shift in, um, you know, your personality and, uh, likes and dislikes. It's kind of like, whatever's in front of me, I'll do what you want me to do to, to fit in. And, um, that's a, it's a lonely, uh, isolating place to, to live in. It's not a, not a good long-term solution. Mm. I mean, so what are some things you're doing now to kind of learn more about yourself and you know, how, how, how is that process going inward for you? Man, it's scary, dude. <laughs> you know, some of the, the hardest work that, uh, that we ever have to do in life is work on ourselves and, uh, and do it consistently. And so, um, if it's me left up to my own devices, I'm going to bail as soon as things start getting tough. As soon as I have to look at something about myself that I don't like, or somebody points out something in, in me that I don't want to hear, I'm going to run. Um, cause I want the path of least resistance. Uh, I, I want to avoid pain and, and gain pleasure. Right. And so, um, I've had to continually be open to, um, new ideas and new, um, insights and, uh, new people that God puts into my life, um, whether it's a, a therapist, um, you know, so, you know, on a practical level, what I'm doing right now is I'm doing step work. I'm doing uh, step work in a, in a 12 step program. I'm working with a sponsor. Um, I'm making phone calls, uh, to, to friends in recovery on, on a regular basis. Today I stopped by and saw a buddy, uh, for a little while that I hadn't seen in a while. So staying connected, staying connected um, with other people who can understand what I've been through. Um, I don't feel so alone and I'm, I'm more able to um, work through um, my issues. So you said something that was interesting. I, I always believe that if we listen to what we say about ourselves and our lives, we can, we can find a pattern that's repeating the script of our lives. And in finding the pattern, we could start to build up a new script or recognize the old one. I remember you said that you said that you don't you want to get away from pain to pleasure, which means ignoring. I mean, not necessarily ignoring, but not putting the pain in front of you so that you could see what's Mm -hmm. causing it. You know, it's as if. It's as if you were sitting on a nail, but you don't want to see the nail, right? So you're <laughs> facing the facts. Mm-hmm. But if you don't see the nail, then you you probably have no urge of getting up from the nail because you you just you just be like, I don't want to see it. And if I see it, then I I would have to be I would have to get off of it. So yep. I mean, when you're in therapy, how do you deal with the ideas uh, that the therapist is uh, you know sending out to you? 
um, how to use that as a retrospect, as a way to then take take actual practical steps to enforcing some of those realizations you come to. Do you do you mind yeah. mindful about any of those things? Yeah. So I'll, I'll share kind of an, an extreme example of I, I had to be kind of shaken and woken up to the fact that uh, of who I really was, who, who I'd become in my addiction. Um, cause I had to script the story in my head of, Hey, yeah, I've been in people magazine. I've been on access Hollywood. I've been backstage at the SB awards and hung out with, you know, Penny Marshall and the rock and Peyton Manning backstage and all, you know, all these things. So I had this ego trip that I was on and in one of the treatment centers I was in, I was, um, doing some, some step work in front of a, a, a group of men. It was a group of about 10 guys and you'd go around and, and answer these questions. And, um, the first step was 70 questions and it took me 12 hours to present that in front of the group, uh, over three days. So I get on to step two and working through some questions on step two. And I, this counselor just, he ended up just throwing his book down and he goes, John, I'm going to tell you this cause I love you and nobody out there in the outside world is going to tell you this but all you are in your addiction is a crippled effing drunk. You know, here I am sitting here with my prosthetic leg. I've used that as a crutch, as an excuse to, you know, get away with a lot of stuff, um, to get more pain pills and to get people sympathy. And he just sat here and he just sat there and looked me point blank in front of a group of men and just said, you're just a crippled effing drunk. That's all you are in your addiction, man. Until you come to terms with that, you're never going to really make any progress. And so that was a huge wake up call for me. I didn't want to hear it. If you would have told me that somebody was going to tell me that I would, uh, you know, I would, I would freak out because I didn't, I wouldn't think I'd be able to handle that. But when he put that, put that out there to me and he said, you know, just you're done with your, your work for the day. Let's just go to your room. And I went there and I was just bawling, crying. You know, you can't talk to me like that. You know who I am, you know? And, um, I needed, I needed somebody to just take a sledgehammer um, people tried easier, softer way to kind of get me to listen, but um, this particular uh, counselor just took a sledgehammer and just cracked me over the head with it and said, uh, hey, man, wake up, wake up and, and see who you really are. So that was, uh, you know, that's kind of an, an extreme example of um, being willing to, to take on somebody else's uh, point of view and to start, you know, it took a while to internalize that, it took, it took a while for me to kind of start to be open-minded of, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm no better than anybody else. I'm just a normal average guy. Um, you know, a, a father, husband, dad, um, just normal old guy. And I'm just trying to make it through this life. But, um, I wanted other people to think that I was bigger than me. And so, um, yeah, so there's, there's one example, um, in terms of like today, um, going my, my therapist today, uh, you know, in, in LA, people want, you know, you got to have a team around you if you're going to make it really big. If you're going to become a, an A-lister, you're going to become somebody big, you got to have a team around you to support you. So you'll have people that have an agent, a manager, they'll have a publicist, they'll have, you know, a trainer, maybe a chef, um, acting coach, you know, all these people around them to help them get from where they are to where they want to be. And um, I've found that today in, in my recovery program. You know, I've got, I've got therapists, I've got a sponsor. I've got uh, friends in recovery. I've got family members. Um, I got people, my friends at the gym, um, that, you know, if I don't show up for, for a few days, Hey man, where you been? You doing all right? Um, so I've got, I've had to build up a team around me. And so 
when I go into therapy, when I go learn something new about myself, maybe it's through my sponsor, my step work, or I go bounce it off some other people and say, Hey, here's what I learned today. And kind of, kind of, for me, I got to keep digesting it because it's like, you know, I got to break through layers that have, you know, been harmful for me my entire life. And it can't build up 40 years of, of, of issues and expect to like get over them in a, in a couple, you know, hour sessions with a therapist. So I've got to be able to take what, uh, what I learned in a session and then take that outside and start and apply that. And, and that a lot of times starts with telling somebody else what's going on. John, tell me about what's going on in your mind from day to day. What is your conversation like? I mean, what do you, what are you thinking? Um, as far as like when you are in the midst of your deepest, darkest addiction point, what, what, what goes on in your mind? Great question, man. That's a deep one. I think ultimately I don't want to feel the way that I'm, I'm feeling. So I don't want to feel fear. I don't want to feel anger. I don't want to feel sadness. And, um, I want to escape those. And so my mind will come up with any kind of excuse. My mind will just kind of go off the rails and, and look for any kind of excuse or any kind of um, diversion um, from my feelings. And our, our feelings are with us for a purpose. And if, especially, you know, men, I think it's, it's harder to express feelings. But, um, you know, we have just as deep as feelings as women. And it's just as important for us to express those um, as it is for anybody else. For me, it was, man, I'm having these feelings. I don't want to feel them. I don't want to address them. I want to do something else. So whether that's, you know, I went skydiving or, you know, adrenaline seeking uh, activities, um, got into triathlon, you know, just like, let me just create a diversion for me so that um, I don't have to listen to the, to the voices in my head and the feelings in my heart. And so it's just been a constant battle of um, being able to um, recognize what those, what those thoughts and feelings are being more mindful. You know, meditation has been really big for me over the last several years um, to be able to be more mindful of my thoughts and my feelings and to be able to, um, to uh, feel them in, in real time and, uh, and be able to sit with them, whether good or bad. And to know that, you know, everything, everything passes, it's all going to pass, but um, man, I want, I want some pills or some alcohol to, to help pass it. So, John, John, on a scale from one to ten, how much would you say that you love yourself? Man, I would say, honestly, probably like a four. Four. So, if that was a, if I was a high school teacher, you'd be receiving a, a F. Yes. So you'd be self-love right now for you would be an F. You wouldn't pass it. So your grade for the class would be an F. Now, if if you think your body, let's say your soul and your body and your mind intricately is a class. Well, let's say school, the school of life is the class and you, your body is a student along with your mind and your emotions. You're the student. If you've already given yourself an F by not loving yourself, which is an F grade, then the entire class itself is going to be F results before 
you even complete the class, which means the emotions, the physical baggages as far as categorized can be as physical pain, stagnation, tightness, annoyance, all of those will reflect the grade, you know, so the symptoms would be the cause of the disease and disease, the cause of the symptom, because the symptom is showing up causing the disease to be apparent in the life. So when it's the grade that you give yourself changes, everything else has to shift to match the grade. So if the grade was an A, self-love was an A, then the emotions would probably be more pleasant. Uh, the thought patterns would probably be more empowering. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the way your body feels would probably be more, you know, in a more desirable state. So I believe that the first part we can work on is learning ways to kind of love ourselves and understand what it means of the things that we went in the past. Uh, One thing you talked about was ego. You know, ego is a feeling of self-confidence and self-importance, which I think not all ego is bad. Just, I guess, ego placed with the right intention can be, you know, the ego that that allows us to find purpose and meaning and bring up the, the, the amount of self-love that we have for ourselves. You know, for instance, if, if ego placed on doing the works of what you're doing now, sharing your story, being vulnerable, you're helping other people, whether you know it or not, if the ego exemplified in the sense of how can I get that feeling of self-importance from a positive occurrence, such as you're doing right now, then that ego is helping others and it's helping you feel good about yourself, bringing up your self-love. But if the ego is in, oh, look what I've done, look what I've accomplished, or look at the people I've been around with, uh, then, you know, that ego then can be at, at, at a disadvantage. I think it, it, it all has to do with the story that we tell ourselves and, you know, how we feel when we're by ourselves. One thing you said is that I don't want to feel the way I'm feeling. And that's that's such an intricate thing because that's the cause of most anxiety is not wanting to feel. There's an anxiety about not wanting to feel the anxiety, which is what we're going to talk about next. I mean, how has anxiety and depression played in your life? And when do you find those rising up for you? Yeah, they've definitely been um, prevalent. Um, since my car accident. Um, and most recently, so, you know, as, as my life continues to unfold as a result of, of my addiction and, and stuff in the past, it um, led to a recent divorce, been a divorce about two and a half, uh, about two and a half months now. And so I'm, you know, in terms of <laughs> discovering myself, I'm having to rediscover myself as, as a, you know, as an individual, um, a father, and who's not living with his children. Um, I'm living by myself for the first time in my life. I'm 41 years old and just now, um, you know, living on my, on my own for the very first time. And so, um, that's, that's kind of where I'm coming from in terms of the, uh, the self-love and, you know, rate myself a four is, is, um, been going through some stuff and trying to, uh, to work through that. Um, and what was the second part of your question? How does anxiety and depression? Now, I, I was saying, what, what, what are some times that you experience like anxiety in your life? What are some times that you experience anxiety? 
Man, I mean, <laughs> I mean, almost any time I'm in a, a large group of people, you know, there's this, am I going to be good enough? Um, am I going to meet everybody's expectations of me? You know, I want people to have certain view of me. And so that's not healthy. You know, it's not healthy to um, walk into a room and go, Hey man, I hope I, I hope I can meet everybody's expectation because everybody has a different expectation. So how am I possibly going to meet everybody's expectation? I'm not. And so that, uh, that is, uh, you know, cause of, uh, a source of anxiety for me, for sure. What if I told you that every every um, thing that's the source of anxiety and you recognize it is the source of the solution to that issue? Or and not that issue, but that, I wouldn't say an issue, but is the source of the solution. Would you believe that to be true? Uh, I don't want to say that one more time. What would you say to me if I told you that the source of the anxiety can be the source of the solution to the anxiety? Mm-hmm. For instance, if when you're around people, there is a, a desire for them to have a certain view of you, and you know it to that to be the, the case, which means you are aware of it, mm-hmm. then what you can do is you could rewire your conscious, your subconscious, your conscious mind every time that you're in you're in a large group by saying this is who I am and I'm proud of this person to be now and I'm just going to act out and who I am and saying that consciously mm-hmm. and saying that I am who I am then will then rewire your brain will rewire your reality and as you converse and talk with those people in your mind you're repeating that script a new script and instead of being able to think oh I want these people to have a certain view of me you're giving the view that you want them to have <laughs> yeah totally so i think we can begin to really use because you're very self-aware john like it's not you said you have to work on self-awareness no you're 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 telling me everything you 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 know i mean you host a podcast as well don't you um i did i did with my previous employer okay so you've really been able to go introspective throughout some of these conversations, would you say not, would you say that you have been able to? Mm-hmm. Yes. And how, how long have you been doing this work? Um, I've been working in the recovery field for three years. Okay. So let's, let's talk about recovery. So when you're recovering, it means that you're, you're coming back from something, right? Mm-hmm. Have you ever like seen the NBA players, they start playing and they get injured and they have to recover. But then after the recovering process, they have a recuperating process that they have to do, getting back into practice. So first you recover and then you strengthen and build a new rope. So it's either we stay in recovery or we could then come from recovery into a new path. I think our lives to be like this. Character starts life. Things seems to be pretty well. Oh, very nice family, good, happy life. Life keeps going, life keeps going. Go through high school, very fun and things. Character graduates, things go really left. Something traumatic happens. We're at the pinnacle, the climax. So client, I mean, human has a decision to make, what direction to go. Life is redirecting you. And in doing that, 
the redirection brings a lot of pain, which is what I would say. Progress is the trophy you get from enduring pain. So character goes through pain, and this pain can either change the character's life's route or it can become integrated into a pattern that this character adopts throughout their lives. That's usually, there's two ways that you find a movie to be interesting is if the character overcame the situation and became a poster child of what it means to overcome, or if it was if the character just kind of like went in this constant cycle and you see it happening. But however, there's a segment where the character goes through a circumstance they overcome the circumstance, learn the lessons, and they're on a new path with a new purpose, mm-hmm. right? But there's always a distinction between the recovery process and the uncovering process of that new person. So we recover from the old and then to uncover the new person, right? Mm-hmm. So I think in our minds, we have to make this switch between recovery and uncovering the ourselves so Hmm. after we've recovered then we have to begin to uncover this new guy this new butterfly in the caterpillar right (laughs) unless unless we begin that process then we'll stay in the recovery process which is prolonging the growth process so Mm -hmm. my question to you is when are you going to do the shift from recovery to uncovering what your true purpose is in life and have you taste a bit of that purpose yet you know, um, I have, and so I'll say my, my previous employer was an addiction treatment center. I went through one of, uh, one of their centers, uh, a number of years ago and had such a good experience. I wanted to work for the organization. So, um, they're based here out of, out of Nashville. I walked in with the resume and was put on, started out on the phones. Next thing you know, I'm doing, uh, interviews around the country. I'm doing public speaking to schools and, uh, uh businesses I developed a drug-free workplace training program of uh, what to look for, you know, drugs in the workplace. We'd go in for free and, and uh, just provide education um, to people in, in their workplace and offer them a, um, an outlet if they needed some help, uh, either them or a family member, and was hosting uh, the company's podcast. And so that, you know, I definitely got a taste of, man, that's really what I, what I want to do and um, unfortunately the company uh, brought on some new investors a number of months ago and, um, laid uh, a bunch of people off. So the entire, entire company has changed over the last, you know, six, nine months. CEO is, isn't there. CFO is gone. That kind of put me back to that happened right around the same time as my divorce. I'm kind of back at, I feel like I'm back at square one. You know, I feel like I'm back at yes, needing to, to uncover what's next. If I'm being honest, I uh, feel, feel stuck right now. So I'm not sure what my next steps are. And um, do I want to work in the recovery field or do I want to do something different? Do I want to do something outside of that? What do you think about the idea of taking out the old tape and then just letting the recorder record? Uh, it sounds challenging. <laughs> I, I'm open to it. It sounds like doing nothing. Just taking out the old tape, letting the record player just record a new one. Because... What's happening is every time that we, we we discuss the old paths, even though it sometimes it, it unless we've sold ourselves on the new story, then the old story keeps re- repeating in our lives. Sometimes uncovering means 
letting go. So the process of letting go and building and growing. So I believe that this is a great opportunity for personal growth and development. And speaking of that, what are you doing um, to invest in the mind? What are some things that you're doing to learn more about management of the emotions? Are you doing any self-work as far as personal development, reading, seminars, books? I'm doing, I've got a few books. They're not necessarily, you know, emotion uh, driven, but um, listening to uh, a couple on nutrition um, and diet, doing, my, doing step work with my sponsor. I signed up for Tony Robbins um, seminar in November in Miami. So that's something that, uh, that I'm doing. Miami? Yeah. Well, that's pretty dope. I got to check that out. Yeah. November, I'm going with a, with a friend out to Tony Robbins. It's somebody I've always wanted to see in person, you know, and put it off and put it off. And going through this uh, transition period that I'm in right now in my life, I was like, you know what? I just need to do it. Um, another thing I'm really looking forward to is, so in about a month, I'm going to be traveling uh, to the Philippines to visit my cousin who works for the U.S. State Department. And he's stationed out there. So I'm going to go visit him and his family for about a week. And then I said, well, if I'm already on that, that side of the world, I'm not going to get back over there anytime soon. What else could I do? And I didn't want to go to like a large city by myself and wander around halfway across the world by myself. Um, you know, need to keep my sobriety first and foremost, or everything else goes to crap. So I was like, you know, where can I go? That's, um, that would be uh, beneficial for me at this point in my life. And so, um, I booked a four day, um, spiritual retreat in uh, Bali. Um, so that's something I'm going to put myself through and try something new. I like that. I like the spiritual journey. Um, Bali is definitely a spiritual place. <laughs> so that's what I'm learning. Yes, yeah, that's, that's what I'm learning, man. Uh, yeah, that's spiritual mecca. Well, that's exactly what I was talking about. What I meant, taking out the old tapes and letting in the record player record the new ones because what you need now is a detoxification of your past you know the same brain that created the results thus far is not the same brain that will be able to solve them and in order for the new for the a new way of thinking to arise the old way of thinking must be ignored and not necessarily suppressed but let go undo the strands of the past mm-hmm so it, I think you're on a new on a new route and a new process of you know really being conscious about some of these things, learning to be a little bit more conscious about your emotions, uh, more intention every single day. Because right now, the world and in my gut, I know in my spirit and my intuition is definitely telling me, and I have this sense of recognizing this. You have you have been bestowed an opportunity masked as a problem. Your life thus far is a blessing to other people, but you start to have to realize the blessings that you are to yourself, how your experiences have, have has molding you into somebody that you never would have been had you not experienced those things. Mm-hmm. So now your story is probably supposed to be impacting millions of people right now, but you know, you are in the process of uncovering that. And it's when the shift happens, from the victim to the victor that's helping other people not be victim, that's when life shifts. And it's happening for you right now. So I think it's about that perception of where you're actually going towards. If you think you're in a loop, 
then you're letting that loop replay, that tape replay. But if you think that you're creating a new song, a new music, then you become an artist. So our goal is how can we shift from being, you know, the MC replaying the tapes to being the artist creating the new tapes in our lives. Um, and I think it's possible. It's definitely possible to do that. Um, I wanted to talk about some conscious cues. Usually, like one way sometimes for me, I get tired and I want to drink like a beer. Lately, I've been thinking this one thing. I was thinking about, I think to myself, do I want to give myself power? Do I want to empower myself or do I want to deprive myself of my power by drinking? Because I find myself to be, you know, less, not as much on my, on my toes mentally, as much as I can be when I'm influenced. So what are some things that you tell yourself to help yourself stay away from the different things that you're trying to avoid, different substances? What are some inner conversation thoughts that you have to motivate yourself not to do it? Um, one thing I've, I've learned in the um, 12 step programs is uh, going to your tape analogies. They say, play, play the tape forward. So if I'm feeling a certain way, I feel like I want to escape from that. Uh, feel like I want to drink or, or take some pills um, to be able to play the tape forward. What happens is anytime I put uh, some substance in my body that um, doesn't agree with me, that essentially I'm allergic to, if I, if I have the disease of addiction, that when I put that stuff in my body, bad things happen. You know, I make poor decisions. I treat people poorly. My relationships go to crap. And so um, it's one thing I've been trying to do more recently, more so than ever, is, is play the tape forward. What's going to happen if I, if I go take that negative action? Well, next thing you know, I'm going to be unemployable. I'm going to be, I'm not going to be able to see my kids. Um, you know, those types of things. Um, another thing is just talking, just talking about, um, what's, what's going on with me. Like I was having a really rough night a couple nights ago and I called a buddy or I texted a buddy who lives uh, right by me here in my apartment complex. And I was like, Hey, are you home? And you know what? Like he wasn't home. He was at the airport, but just the fact that I reached out to him to tell him what I was dealing with, he was able to say, Hey man, I've, I've been through something similar to that too. You know, I know how you're feeling. Um, and that was extremely helpful. I just felt, um, I felt supported. Um, I felt uh, validated. I felt um, heard. And um, if I stay in my head, if I sit in my apartment by myself at night and just stew over that stuff, um, that's not going to serve me very well. So to be able to voice it to somebody else um, um, is extremely helpful for me. Mm -hmm. What is pulling you in the future? What is pulling me in the future? Yeah, what anchor is in the future or what dream is in the future that's pulling you every day? Right now, it's um, ultimate goal right now is, is my spiritual connection. I mean, that's that's why I'm, I'm going the extra mile when I'm overseas to, to go to Bali and spend the extra time and the money to do that, uh, that spiritual retreat. Um, yeah, I think I'm, I'm a spiritual being, uh, here on, on human, you know, on, on earth in a human body, uh, not a physical body having a spiritual experience, but a spiritual being having a human experience. And, um, I would say, you know, as of 
as of right now, it's the spiritual um, connection that I'm seeking. Well, that's amazing. I'm excited for you and you, that journey. I think it's, it's a good, it's a beautiful journey, man. It's amazing. Thank you very much. So John, do you have any, anything that's going on right now that you want everyone to know about? Man, so I am proud to say I am uh, a supporter of a, a, non, a newer nonprofit called Rebel for a Change. So if anybody out there can relate to any of the addiction stuff that we, that we uh, talked about, um, a lot of times there's a lot, there is support and a lot of support for the alcoholic or the addict themselves, right? Um, there's treatment and there's, there's um, financial support to get people um, the help that they need. A lot of times the families um, are the ones that suffer. The families get left behind. Uh, the support system who have been wrong and lied to and stolen from, um, there, there's not as many resources for them. And so uh, a friend of mine started um, Rebel for a Change, and you go to rebelforachange.org, and um, you can uh, look to you can either get support or, or look to offer support um, through, uh, through that organization. So that's something that's building. And it's the, uh, if anybody's heard, uh, knows the band Korn, uh, the drummer for Korn, it's his wife is the one that started it. And, uh, she's a, she's a daughter of an addict and she got tired of playing, playing that victim and feeling like a victim that she was always, you know, her situation, her life was going to revolve around her, her father's being sober or not being sober. And so she finally took things in her own hands and said, you know what, I'm gonna do something positive. And so she started this organization um, about a year ago. And um, is doing some amazing work with it, so I'm, I'm uh, proud to be uh, a supporter of that. That's amazing. I think that's a, a organization built out of purpose is usually good, um, and I that's that's awesome. Uh, John, I, I always want to make sure that whoever's listening can learn from your experiences, and I'm sure they have gotten some lessons thus far. However. When you think about your life and sometimes when you were out of the dark spot, maybe darker than you, you are, or you, and you've discovered, oh, it wasn't that bad. What was that thing when you, when you said to yourself, it wasn't that bad? What did you find out wasn't that bad? Hmm. <laughs> uh, I would say so number of years ago, uh, working through the 12 steps, uh, step four and five is writing down a personal inventory of everything that's, uh, everything that you, uh, people you've wronged and things that you've done wrong. And that terrified me. Um, in step five, you, you have to say those things to, to God, to yourself and to another human being. And so to take my life inventory of all the things that I've done wrong and resentments that I had, all those types of things. And to be able to say that out loud to another individual, it was crappy to have to face and do. But once it came out on the other side, it was like, man, that wasn't that bad. And I'm glad I did it. Cause I got it out of my, I got it out of my mind and out of my heart, put it down on paper and then spoke it out loud to somebody. And I was supported through the process. Um, so I would say, I would say that. So really just kind of like finding that, that courage to just ask for forgiveness? Um, well, courage, courage to recognize what all I've done, you know, courage, right. 
you know, yeah, what, how, how I've wronged people, mm-hmm. where I've wronged people. Um, and then to be able to, yeah, to be able to ask for help and, um, and come out on the other side uh, lighter, a, a lot lighter. Okay. And how have you done that? How have you done that process? Of, do you feel like you forgive yourself? Or do you feel any guilt? Uh, I definitely feel guilt, especially right now being, you know, um, being away from my, my kids, um, feeling like I had, you know, the biggest part in, uh, in the, uh, in the marriage breaking, breaking up, being away from my kids. I definitely feel a lot of guilt about that. So what are some steps that you're doing now to step out of guilt and into making it up for them? How are you realizing that being guilty doesn't necessarily solve the problem? It just hurts you more. I mean, what are you doing to to undo that? Mm, man, that's a good question. I mean, I guess I would say just just trying to sh- show up for them when I do get to see them, to be as you know present as I possibly can for them. Um, call them every, I only get to see them, um, for six hours on, on the weekends right now. And so <clears throat> to be able to make that time, you know, meaningful, um, I try to, uh, push aside any, any other distractions, anything else I have going on in my life and just be with them when I can, um, call, I call them on a, on a daily basis, let them know I'm thinking about them. I don't know. That's that's a good question. I think I could probably use a little work there. Yes, I mean I believe if you had, if you ask the right questions, definitely the right answers are going to come. And you think life is a series of asking yourself the right questions and being open, willing, vulnerable enough to to listen to the answer and let the answer prompt us to action. Yeah, that's it's definitely a question i'll have to give some more thought to most definitely hey john have you started have you ever thought about getting a journal or do you have one already no i don't i don't and uh, i just i know from (laughs) that that's always such a good outlet for a lot of people uh, but i don't have one yeah i really like to just sit down and put my thoughts in there and just kind of do some self-reflective work so you know, I thought I'd, I'd leave that with you, maybe look into possibly getting one. Okay. Um, and, you know, that that is about the interview, just kind of like doing that conversation, talking to ourselves, understanding ourselves is the first step, um, I believe, and really, really making the changes to understand ourselves to the deep, to the deepest points. And... John, do you feel like you've gotten any value from any of the questions that we talked about today? Absolutely. You know, <laughs> I kind of came into this uh, thinking I was going to, you know, say my my rehearsed story that I've told before. Uh, but to have your insights and, and your, you know, pressing questions, or I wouldn't say pressing, your um, honest questions have definitely um, given me some stuff to think about. So what is your intention to act moving forward? What do you want for your life? Uh, 
ultimately I, I want um, peace. I want peace of mind and, you know, to be able to continue to learn how to be peaceful, even in the, and be grateful, even in the, you know, crappy situations. Yes. Peace of mind. Peace of mind, I believe is the, is the truth, is the happiness, is the really route of self-satisfaction. Finding that, that's a great answer. And you're going to find it as soon as you keep looking for it. And it's not even in looking. It's in not looking that you find peace of mind. It's in not thinking that you find peace of mind. Peace of mind comes from no thing. It comes from within yourself. And that's about it, everyone. If you've been tuning into this podcast, really, as you listen to the questions and the answers and the experiences of both, I guess I didn't necessarily share too many of my experiences, but um, think about your own and think about what work can you do on yourself and how you can use your story to build that person that you see as the person that would make you happy by recognizing that that person is within yourself. So it can be, it can be confusing trying to become and knowing that you're already this person. So whatever you're trying to overcome, you're not overcoming anything. You're literally trying to kind of like be yourself because Mm -hmm. what you are is more powerful than what you're going through, what you're growing through. So, John, do you have any final message for the audience, for everyone listening to the Ed Talks Personal Growth and Motivation Podcast? Man, I would say keep listening to your podcast. And, um, you know, if, if you or a loved one is struggling with addiction, um, there's help out there. You don't have to go through it alone. Um, pick up the phone, get online, and, uh, and, and find a resource uh, to help you deal with that. Because, uh, like I what I like to say about my brother is, is the drugs didn't kill my brother. It was the stigma of addiction that killed my brother. Cause we didn't as a family want to look, be looked down upon, you know, we didn't want people to know what we were going through. We knew my brother was struggling, but we didn't, um, you know, rally around him and to encourage him to get the help that he needed. And it, the stigma, uh, it ultimately killed my brother. So, um, yeah, reach out for help guys. Just overcoming that stigma. And John, I definitely want to have you back on this podcast, but more of a, a a different one where I could have different professionals. Would you be down for something like that? Absolutely. Yeah. So we'll I'm definitely sure. follow up on that. Okay. All right. And thank you everyone for tuning into the Ed Talks Personal Growth and Motivational Podcast. I always say this one thing, remember this, you have an unlimited power in you to achieve, to become, to overcome, to learn and grow from your experiences, mask as pain, and to become the person you were destined to be. But first, you have to start with a deep inner belief that it can happen for you. Eventually, it will with the right intentions and everyday actions. But all that being said, let your light shine. Definitely don't hide it and don't dim it. And have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your day. Peace. I want to remind you that you have unlimited power within you to achieve whatever it is that you want and to construct the person you want to be. But first, you must believe it in order to achieve it. And until that happens, the world will forever miss your talents, your gifts, and all the great things that you have to offer. So let your light shine, don't hide it, don't dim it. Thank you.
Find Ed Talks Daily on your favorite podcast app and be sure to leave your thoughts in the form of review. Until next time, remain in your unlimited power.